0: Hi everyone and welcome to Heroes and Howlers and the Rest is History. I'm Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd,
1: but my mate Paul Wilson... Hi everybody. Paul's a proper historian all the way from Oxford. Thanks Mikey. Okay folks, so here's the show... It's about the unsung heroes, yeah. the bizarre twists of fate, those weird bits of history that have so changed the course of mankind. Yeah, actually made it it's also about the cock-ups. <laughs> yeah,
0: those howlers, the moments of madness that are sometimes tragic, sometimes comical that have made the world what it is today. Well, hello, everyone. We've made it to the end of the year, and thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you very much, guys. It's been great. Four seasons, eh, mate? I can't believe it. Four seasons in one year. Yes. Uh, And we even managed to uh, fit in COVID and lockdowns, (laughs) and you had to go overseas, but we're back. And as such, I think it's time we decked the halls and did a special festive episode. A Christmas special indeed. Now, mate, this time of year... What's the one thing the conservative media loves to
1: drag up? <laughs> oh, the, I know what you're about. You're talking about wars here, weren't you, Mikey? The, the
0: war on Christmas. Every year they come around and say the Liberals have ruined Christmas. They've taken all the fun out of Christmas. Oh, yeah, the whole war on Christmas. No one's, no one cares about Jesus enough anymore. Yeah, exactly, you know, and, and what a bunch of killjoys those Liberals are. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to talk about a war on Christmas that's almost 400 years old. Oh, okay. I'm going to take you back to 1659, mate. Right, yes. Okay, 17th century. Oh, English Civil War? Well, just... Well, actually, on the other side of the pond, mate. Right. The, oh, over in the States, yes. Yes, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, mm-hmm. which was run by your good friends, the Puritans. Ah, yes. And they released this law. For preventing disorders arising in several places within this jurisdiction, by reason of some still observing such festivals as were superstitiously held in other countries, (laughs) the old country, (laughs) to the great dishonour of God and offence of others, it is therefore ordered by this court and the authority thereof that whosoever shall be found observing such days as Christmas (laughs) or the like, either by forbearing of labour feasting or any other way upon such accounts as foresaid, every person so offending shall pay for every such offence five shillings as a fine to
1: the county. So you pay five shillings just for celebrating Christmas? Or just taking the day off. Just <laughs> okay. if you took in,
0: in fact it wasn't just Christmas, it was Easter, it was Witch Sundays. Right. And you mentioned the Civil War. This goes back to the old English Puritan mm-hmm. concept where they used to say they for whom all days are holy can have no holy day. Ah,
1: the, right, yes.
0: Now the English Puritans—they'd always looked a little bit askance at Christmas. They, mm. Well, they swear it's a bit too much of a coincidence, Paulie, that it <laughs> fell on the same day as the Roman holiday of Mithras. Right, yes, of course. Bang smack in the middle of that extended ramen, booze-up and food festival Saturnalia. <laughs> yes. Also, too, I thought it was a little bit odd that Pope Julius had arbitrarily chosen the 25th of December. Yes, of course. And Puritans from those days actually believed that Jesus was born in September. September, that's right, yeah. yeah. But actually, you've got more stuff coming up about August. I have a little bit, yes. But let me get back to the Puritans. So it was the English Puritans that had abolished Christmas as a holiday in 1645. That's right. That's C- um, Cromwell, of course, yeah. Yeah, but... This may come as no surprise to you, Paul. Across the Atlantic, they were even more zealous about this. (laughs) Right. So by 1660, Christmas had officially been reinstated in England, Mm. but it was still banned in Massachusetts well into the 1680s. In fact, here's a bloke who's gone down in history as a bit of a howler. (laughs) Cotton Mather. Now, you might have heard of Cotton. Oh, yes. Salem Witch Trials. Salem Witch Trials, that's it, right. He didn't actually take part in the Salem Witch Trials, but his book, Memorable Providences, laid much of the theological groundwork for Yes. Him. So he was a you know, he was a bit of a Bible thumper. Well, he actually said to his flock, the feast of God's nativity is spent reveling, dicing, carding, masking, and in all licentious liberty, by mad mirth, by long eating, by hard drinking, by lewd gaming, by rude reveling, which sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, really. it sounds like a good party. But the Puritans did not like this. and you know, So I said by this stage, you know, Christmas is back in England mm. but in America it is still actually illegal Outlawed. In, in parts of the country to have a break at Christmas. Back in the States, it wasn't until 1863 that Alabama became the first US state to make Christmas Day a holiday. In fact, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the great American poet, Mm. he he wrote a speech in 1856 that said, the old Puritan feeling prevents Christmas from being a cheerful, hearty holiday though every year makes it more so. Mm. When I say they banned Christmas, it was illegal in parts of America if you closed your workplace down, if you Mm -hmm. closed a school down. Yeah, the schools were open ahead, yeah. yeah. yeah, Your children caught not going to school on (laughs) Christmas Day were actually
1: punished. Give me the dungeon. Oh, no.
0: In fact, it took until 1870 when Ulysses S. Grant became president after the Civil War. Good old Ulysses. Before America finally got Christmas Day off. So, mate, if we're talking about the war on Christmas, it actually begins with the Puritans.
1: All right, folks, so it's the Christmas special. Uh, Mikey's been showing us the first war on Christmas over stateside. And I must admit, Mikey, I've got a little bit of a, it's not quite a war, I suppose, but I have got a little bit of a gripe, and it's about Santa Claus and about Father Christmas, because it really annoys me the two keep getting mixed up or amalgamated together, when really yeah. they should be very separate. Okay, mate, you've lost me already, so <laughs> you're confusing me about Santa. we are going to tell me the elves aren't real? All right, so let me start at the beginning, and I'll start with Santa Claus. Now, as many of you will know, he goes back to the original Saint Nicholas, who was a 4th century bishop in Myra, which is that little Greek-speaking town on the coast of what's now modern-day Turkey, but then, of course, was very much part of the Greek Greek Orthodox Church.
0: Now, now, he was a genuine historical figure.
1: That's right. And he was known for secretly going around at nighttime, giving money or giving presents to the poor, particularly there's his father with three daughters who didn't have any money for a dowry, helping these kind of people. And his fame quickly spread across the whole of Europe. Yeah, he's revered in all the countries, particularly in the Dutch-speaking areas, and that's where we get that word Sinterklaas. From St. Nicholas, which of course becomes the Santa Claus that we have today. But the interesting thing is, Mikey, uh-huh. his feast day was on December the 6th. All right, so nowhere near December 25th. Right, and <laughs> two days before my birthday, nothing too expensive. I just thought I'd throw <laughs> that in, mate. So, as you've already said, Mikey, the Catholic Church wasn't averse to moving things around no. to suit their own needs, were they? And that's all good up until the Reformation, of course, when. Martin Luther and Zwingli start kicking out all the saints um, and saying that we can't pray to these figures from Christian history. We've got to focus only on Christ, of course, and mm. every man being his own church. But by the same token, they do like giving to the poor, you know, the, the idea of Christian charity. So what the Reformation boys do is they push them together. They use the St. Nicholas story about giving, but now they transfer that onto Christ helping the poor, Christian virtue. And so with a little bit of jiggery-pokery, they move Ooh. the St. Nicholas Festival from the 6th to the 25th, which, of course, is Christ's birthday. Which has been given to him by Julius the First, as I said earlier. Exactly. So now, of course, God's great gift to the world, which is Christ the Child, Christ Kindle, which is where you get your Chris Kingle, of course, over here in Australia. And suddenly Christmas Day is the day when you start to give the presents. Okay, that explain Santa. So when does Father Christmas come in? Right, okay, so Father Christmas, like I said, he's a very different character. Really? His first references in English literature date back to the 15th century, but it's the 17th century, and that civil war that you're talking about, again, where it really kicks off, because the royalists, they start using Father Christmas in their... Pamphlets, because for them Father Christmas embodies everything about the good old days. You know the traditional feasting and the good cheer that the Puritans of Cromwell want to put a stop to. But they too accept the fact that the idea of Father Christmas goes back before their own time. In fact, it goes right back to the pre-Christian era, to those midwinter festivals that were held all over Northern Europe and which the Anglo Saxons had introduced into England. You know the medieval mystery plays, those those mummers plays that we hear about. I did a few of them at uni, actually, and I remember the old man winter sort of character. That's it. In those plays, Father Christmas, he was dressed not in red and fluffy white cotton beards. He was in animal skins. He had antlers. He was crowned with holly wreaths. He's like a really hoary old man. So once again, just like you were saying with the Mithras mm. festival from the Romans, the Christians are borrowing, you know, or should we call it stealing, you know, from these traditional festivals that long predated the, the coming of Christianity. Oh, uh, I was just saying that They go back to pagan times. That's it. So we've got the midwinter festivals. You've also got the Modranicht as it was known in Old English, which is the Pagan Night of the Mothers, Mother's Night, and that was always on December the twenty-fourth, so always. yeah, Christmas Eve. And we know that's been going on longer than anything else because the Venerable Bede actually mentions it in his eighth-century histories. Because you see, you have got all these Germanic traditions that have come over with the Anglo-Saxons. You've got the Yule Tide with the Yule log, the Yule boar. I should point out when you say
0: Yule boar, you mean like a roast pig, not the uncle you get set next to at Christmas lunch. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's right, Mikey. It's not your old boring uncle, but it is Old Man Winter, isn't it? It's that long-bearded, hoary, Jack Frost type of figure. Yeah, and even the Goths, you know, going back to that Attila episode, they would have their mid-winter night festival that would often run for two weeks, very similar to the 12 days that Christ- we know, the 12 days of Christmas. Well, that actually
0: harks back to the Saturnalia thing I was talking about in Roman times. But here's something I could never get my head around.
1: When it comes to Christmas, why is twelve days so important? Okay, well, there's a common misconception here, Mike. A lot of people think that it's because the Orthodox Church celebrates Christmas Day on January the sixth, which is twelve days after uh, our Christmas. That it somehow it must be connected. But no, that's actually all goes back to that calendar episode. Yeah, you know, the, Ju- the-, the Julian and Gregorian calendars. No, the reason why twelve days of Christmas is so special is because it's all connected to the Epiphany. which is when the three magi, the three kings, the three wise men arrive in Bethlehem and then you get the big reveal. (laughs) Um, Jesus, you are not just the son of Mary and Joseph, you are the son of God. And that's the epiphany in the Christian tradition. But of course, really what they're doing is buying into the old Twelfth Night, uh, Shakespeare, the big parties that have been going on from these midwinter festivals for centuries. So yet again, the church is actually just appropriating what's already been going on. Well, that's it. They even say that in the north, you know, the Norsemen, they had a 12-day midwinter festival celebrating... Odin, even centuries before that. I just love the idea of an Odin advent calendar. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, and of course, oh look, it's a tiny X. Oh, look. and of course, you know, Mikey. Once again, with Odin, mm. you can see the ties in with the long beard and the grizzled old man, you know, coming out of the snows from the north. It's only really in the 1840s, with the illustrated magazines in the states and in England, that you get this jolly-faced, you know, bearded cotton wool food and drink Santa in the Santa suits. And of course, then, you know, in the early 20th century, you got the Rival Santas, haven't you? You've got the Pepsi Blue Santa versus the Coca-Cola Red Santa, and they'd actually have blue suits or red suits. I didn't know that, because I've only (laughs) ever seen the red ones. (laughs) Guess what? Coca-Cola won, right? Exactly, yeah. Coke will tell you that their red harks back to the red vestments of St. Nicholas when he was a bishop, but to be honest, Mikey, it's just an advertising ploy. Okay, here's the last thing, mate. I've got to ask you this. So we start off with a
0: Greek-speaking... Bishop in sunny Turkey <laughs> yeah. in about the fourth century. Yeah.
1: So, where the hell do the reindeer come in? <laughs> right okay okay well so, uh, traditionally saint nicholas actually started off on a horse uh, and in france and italy they even say he might have been a donkey and he'd use this to have he'd have baskets on the back with the money and presents but as it became more of a northern europe tradition obviously you got the winter you got the snow and that's really where the donkeys and the horses became a reindeer and then when we go stateside with the americans as we know mikey everything's bigger and better right. in america so s- suddenly one reindeer became 12 reindeer and then in 18 18- you've got the New York Sentinel publishing its poem, giving all the 12 reindeers their own names, Dasher, Prancer, Blitzer, whatever it is. And the wrist. And then in the early 20th century, of course, Rudolph comes in, he gets his red nose, and in 1949, every parent's nightmare, you get the Rudolph the Red Nose reindeer song. <laughs>
0: Hi, folks. I hope you're enjoying our festive special. Now, we finished up with Paul talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yes. Which I can imagine how it drives parents <laughs> up the wall. But I've got to tell you one thing, mate. When I was a teenager, I used to work in a shopping centre yeah. collecting carts yes. at, at Christmas time. If I heard the little drummer boy one more time, <laughs> I would <kinda> go berserk. <laughs> but there are some great Christmas carols like Sp- sure. Silent Night, yes. Tenenbaum. But, mate, if I was going to ask you, what's the biggest Christmas song? What song do you most associate with Christmas? Oh, uh, what yeah, are you going to say? it's got to be Jingle, Jingle Bells. Bells. Right, but here's the thing. Jingle Bells was not originally about Christmas. What? No. In fact, mate, it was a drinking song. <laughs> drinking to song? To celebrate street racing by drunks and written by a bloke that everyone in history agrees on as being a bit of a jerk. Okay. Okay, the guy in question is a guy called James Lord Pierpont. Lord? No, actually, it wasn't a real Lord. That was just his middle name. <laughs> but you're close. He did come from a seriously noble family. Right. His uncle was James Pierpont Morgan, JP Morgan, Ah. the uber-wealthy financier. Right. And his dad was actually a well-respected man of the cloth, Mm. rich and something of a minor poet. Okay. But James Lord fell pretty far from the tree. At an early age, he runs away from home and becomes a deeply unsuccessful whaler. Whaler? Yeah, he gets married, but he abandons his first wife, sends her off to live with his father. Mm. Then he goes west gold prospecting. Right. Fails at that. (laughs) And by 1850, he's living in the town of Medford, Massachusetts. Okay. Now, here's the thing about Medford, Massachusetts in 1850. In fact, mate, I'm going to quote Colonel Hamill, who's a professor of literature at Boston University. Yep. And also to vice president of the Medford Historical Society. <laughs> okay. He says, at the time, Medford was a home to a series of sleigh races that used to occur on a street called Salem Street. These sleigh races which you could pretty much call drag races, Right down this street was one of the most popular events. And we believe there was actually James Lord Pierpont, who observed this, took part in it, and he wrote the original Jingle Bells. Right. I'm going to quote me with it again. Some of the words in the original Jingle Bells are actually associated with the idea that this is a song you sang while you're drunk, <laughs> talking about an event that happened while you were also drunk. <laughs> These are the original lyrics mate Okay go on So this is about sleigh racing in Massachusetts And the other thing I should have talked about Apart from sleigh racing The other thing Medford was famous for Was rum production Ah, right. So these are drunken sleigh races Going on in the dark of winter yeah. So these are the original lyrics I'm not going to sing, don't worry. <laughs> a day or two ago, I thought I'd take a ride and soon Miss Fanny Bright was seated by my side. The horse was lean and lank. Misfortune seemed his lot. He got into a drifted bank and then we got up sot. Which means turned over. By the fourth, That's jingle bells. Well, yeah, mate, but <laughs> check out the fourth verse. Go on. Now the ground is white. Go at it while you're young. Take the girls tonight and sing this sleighing song. <laughs> Just get a Bobtail bay 240 at his speed, hitch him to an open sleigh and crack you'll take the lead and apparently the custom of the time was to jiggle the ice cubes in your drink in time with the jingle bells jingle ah. bells in the course of the song <laughs> so uh, how did that become a Christmas carol? Well mate. James Lord, as I mentioned before, was a bit of a scoundrel. Yeah. The first wife, who he abandoned, mm. dies. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he doesn't even go to the funeral. Oh. And in fact, a few weeks later, he's married to his second wife, who is the daughter of the mayor of Savannah, Georgia. Right. Now, obviously, the guy's got some musical talent. So once in town, he becomes the musical director of the local Unitarian Church. Right. Right. During a Thanksgiving service, he performed the song, but he changed the lyrics to make it seem more festive and obviously, of course, and keep in with new Daddy in Law. Yes, mate, and it becomes an instant hit. He performs it again at Christmas, and the song we know today grew in popularity and was officially published. So much so that Savannah, in the hot, deep South of America, <laughs> yes, becomes known as the birthplace of Jingle Bells. <laughs> jingle Bells yeah, on but the Slave Aid. Yes, mate, there's a plaque there and everything, but there's also a plaque in Medford as well. <laughs> right. But I'm not done with Jingle Bells, because I've got to mention this. All right. When we were kids, we all used to sing Jingle Bells, Batman smells. Robin laid an egg. (laughs) The Batmobile lost a wheel and the Joker got away. Yes. You're not going to believe this. I know there are some obscure topics for history essays out there. Go on. I've actually read a thesis on the origin story of that version of Jingle Bells. No way. And according to the author, and the first place it was observed being sung Mm -hmm. was on a US Air Force base in California. California. In the late 1960s. And the theory goes that as ground crew and you know, Air Force men and mm. you know, pilots and you know, Air Force women you know, got sent around the world in the Cold War and yeah. the Vietnam War, that's how the song actually spread through the world ah. as part of America's cultural imperialism. <laughs> okay, that's the thesis. I've got another theory too, mate. Go on. Batman was a very popular show with kids, and Bells rhymes with smells. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So there you go, folks, the end of our first ever festive special. So thanks again, as we said, for listening throughout the year. It's been a really good one. It's been Uh, been a hoot, guys. Thank you so much. And we're really looking forward to 2022. We're going to have four more seasons for you next year. We're going to have a couple of weeks off, obviously, over Christmas and New Year. But we're going to have some extra helpings dropping in January. And then we'll be back to kick it all off in February next year. Have a great time. And once again, thanks from both of us for listening. And your feedback's been wonderful. Yeah, anything you want to put on Twitter or any of the accounts, please drop us a line on all your social media using the handle at and the rest is hissed. And the rest is hissed. And you can find all that stuff in the show notes. OK, and if you like the podcast, don't forget to like, subscribe and comment, you know, whichever platforms you usually use. And stay safe.